There's always something better than what we already have. Somewhere out there, there's a better car, a better job, a better beach house, and the list goes on. The truth is, a better life doesn't just exist in your dreams. It's closer than you think. Imagine a Christ-centered marriage, one that doesn't involve lying, cheating, and going to bed angry. Imagine a relationship with your children that builds them up instead of tearing them down. One that equips them to make good decisions instead of being apathetic to their spiritual growth. Imagine going to your job every day happy. Can you believe it? You can actually enjoy what you'll be doing for the next 10, 20, or 30 years. Imagine what Easter Sunday will look like if everybody brought one person to church. And imagine if the person you brought stands up to be saved. Jesus lived and died for your life. So imagine what would happen if you truly lived your life for Him. Morning, church. How you doing? Everybody good? Good, good, good. You enjoying the weather? Finally got warm. I hope this one stay warm for a little bit. You know what I mean? It's just been like up and down all over the place. I like something that's at least consistent. So anyway, I don't know why I told you that. Just thought I would. Um, but glad you're here. I'm very excited about all that's going on um, in the church. I'm very excited about next Sunday, as you've heard a lot about it. I'm very excited about this Sunday, and I believe God wants to do some awesome things here today. I um, don't want to look so much ahead that we forget that God is here with us right now. Um, I do want to encourage you, though, that uh, get one of those, those little postcards um, right here and, and take that and, and invite somebody to church. It's a very easy way to invite somebody. And you never know um, who you invite that may end up um, having their life changed. They may meet Christ who, and, and Jesus changes their heart and then their life's never the same again. Some of our most faithful people in this church um, gave their life to Christ and received Christ on Easter Sunday um, in the past. And so God works um, through that resurrection power of Easter. And, and we want you to, to, to be able to see what happens when you just take a step of faith. You invest in somebody's life and you invite them to come and experience Christ. Um, we're excited about it to say the least. We're excited about what's going to happen in the kids area. Um, we've got some special things planned for them that we feel that the Lord's put on our heart. And we just believe it's going to be an awesome time. And so I encourage you again to invite, be praying, um, and then, and then come and let's, let's just see what God does. You know, it's always with God. He, he, he does what he does and he does it better than anybody else. And so we just trust that he's going to do some awesome, awesome things. Um, today we're going to actually wrap up this series called imagine. We're actually also wrapping up the book of Ephesians. And so, um, we've been going through this now for quite some time. I actually have been through several different series, uh, through this book of Ephesians. Um, we went through a series that was called verses. You remember that it was like the coolest bumper video we've ever had. The video we shared right before the message with the guy punching the, the bags and y'all thought it was me, but it wasn't right. And uh, y'all remember that? And uh, so we, we, we went through that series versus looking at authentic Christianity uh, versus our cultural Christianity and what culture teaches us. We looked at the series under construction and we talked about how the church is still under construction. God is still building his church. He's still tearing down walls of hostility and bringing people from different backgrounds and different races and different socioeconomic statuses and he's putting them all together to build this glorious church. And we looked at how the church is still being built today. We, we, we went through the series Walk, where we looked at how do we walk out our faith? How do we walk out this relationship with Jesus in our daily lives? And, and we, we talked through that and, and looked at what that looks like. And then we started this series called Imagine. And the whole thing about this series has been imagining what our life would look like and what our community could look like and what um, just, just um, the world could look like if we really lived out our relationship um, in the way that Jesus calls us to live them out. And so we've been looking at that. Uh, we walked through um, just some marriage, uh, a marriage message where we looked at how that looks. Um, and remember, we've got the marriage class coming up. We talked about parenting. We've talked about work relationships and just all relationships in general. And now today, we're going to look at the one thing that Paul tells us at the very end of this that, that is the key to all of the things that we've talked about. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And we're going to begin to look at how Paul tells us that, listen, all of these things that we've looked at, 
at um, from Ephesians chapter 2 all the way through all of the scriptures that we've looked at. Um, he's painted this great picture, but he's going to bring us back to this reality um, that if we're going to live this out, there's some realities we have to face and there's some things that we have to do and there's an enabling and an empowering from God that we have to receive if we're going to live these out. And so um, this is sort of that day that we've been working towards for several weeks to get to and be able to look at and go, okay, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is where this begins to happen. And, and this is where um, Paul finally concludes uh, the, at least part, the, the, the end of this letter and says, this is what we need to do. This is where we have to be. This is what, how we have to walk. And so I just want to pray for us. Then we're going to jump in here and we're going to get going and see what the Lord has for us today. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to know you. God, I thank you for all you've done as we've studied this book of Ephesians. I thank you for all you have planned to do in the future. I thank you for what you have planned to do next week on Easter as you you bring people to life in you, God, and and you um, literally uh, take us from death to life spiritually as we come alive in you, God. But I thank you also for today, and I pray that we wouldn't take today for granted. I pray that we would be alert. I pray that we would be attentive. I pray that we would have ears to hear um, what you say today, God, that we'd have eyes of faith to see who you are more clearly. And God, that we would have eyes of faith to see more clearly who we are in you. God, speak to our hearts, please. God, come by the power of your Holy Spirit and, and renew us in our hearts, renew us in our minds and help us to walk and follow you. Let us imagine what it would be like to see more people coming to know you and to imagine what our relationships would look like if we truly lived and in your power and in your ways. Lord, we love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you um, like technology? Anybody like technology? Um, I think we probably all like technology. We just don't realize it. I like technology when it works, right? And technology has brought us some really good things, right? A lot of really good things, um, like the internet, which can be good, good, right? It can be good. Um, we hear a lot of bad things about it, but it can be very good, right? Um, like we don't even need a telephone book anymore. You should see the people who are over 30 in our office when they want to call somebody. That was, we're all scrounging around for a telephone book. And the people under 30 are like, why don't you just Google that? And we're like, oh, didn't think about that. And right, so we don't even have a telephone. So it's, it's all right there, right? It's right at the tip of our fingers. Um, we've got technology like iPads, right? iPads. And, and I've got my message on today that um, put my notes on it. It's, it's awesome. I can carry it all around with me. I've got um, so much information at the tip of my fingers. I've got all of this right here, you know, um, so many different things that we can access and so much information and knowledge that we can have instantly. Technology can be a really good thing. The other thing, how about the telephone? How many of you are old enough to, to remember when there was not a cell phone? You remember that? How do we ever make it from home to town without like dying because somebody might want to get in contact with us? Right. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, I, it, and, and, and how many of you wish that we could go back to those days? Many times, many times. It's like, I, I just, when I walk by a mud puddle, sometimes I just look and I'm like, what if I just went, oops, you know what I mean? And my phone fell in. I, I don't think it would be such a bad thing. And, and there's a lot of good things that technology has brought us. There's some things though, that I'm not a big fan of. And, and there's this, this craze that's happening now. And, and it, it comes through technology. It comes through um, cell phones. It comes through, um, this combination of telephones and Instagram. I don't know if any of you, you, you may pick this up as I go a little bit further, but there's this new phenomenon. There's this new thing that everybody seems to be doing, even the president of the United States. And it's called a selfie. Come on. Let's be honest. How many of you have ever taken a selfie? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Guys. No. No. Unless you are making fun of a selfie, do not do a selfie, dudes. I'm just telling just don't do selfies. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about right now as a selfie, right? Yeah. All right, selfie. Let me, let me show you this. I'm just going to be straight up transparent, straight up honest. I have never taken a selfie. One time my niece took a selfie and put it on my Instagram. If you go look at my Instagram, it's the only picture on my Instagram. And so my niece did it. She was like, did it in 15 seconds. I was after a service or after two services, I was on the couch. I'm about passed out. And you know, it's in this holy hangover coma mode that I go into on Sunday afternoons. And the next thing I know, she's got my phone, took a picture. My phone starts vibrating. I look down, I've got notifications. I check my phone. She's put a picture of me on the couch almost half dead um, and, and of me and her like you know selfie and, and so I honestly have never taken a selfie and so I was thinking about that today and I was thinking like why not why not you know why not step out of the box 
Why not break the mold? Why not take a selfie and put it on Twitter? And so if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's a picture you take of yourself with your phone. If you have an iPhone, which is really the only phone you should ever own, um, you, 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 you have this little camera. When you go to your camera, you have this little thing. And it's got these little, little circular arrows, and you just push that, and you can hold your phone up. There's that guy. Gosh, he's gotten old. And as I look at myself, I can take this selfie. And so I think you should, think I should take a selfie. You think I should probably do that? No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And so um, anyway, but selfies, man, everybody's taking selfies. We saw the Ellen DeGeneres thing, right? Where she took the selfie of Julia Roberts and all these different people um, at the Oscars. And then it got tweeted like over 1,300,000 times in like an hour. Crazy, right? We saw uh, this week, I saw where um, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, took a selfie with the president of the United States. You know, and so everybody's doing these selfies. And here's the thing that most of the time when I see a selfie, this is what I see. I see somebody who's he's probably met somebody that they're like, oh my gosh, I met somebody famous. And so they snap a selfie, right? And then they show everybody. Or I see people who've gotten really dressed up, right? And, and, and they, they've gotten all dolled up and, and, uh, and, and um, kind of ready to go out or something. They pop a selfie and then they, that sounds like a pill or something. They, they take a selfie and... And then they, they put it up for everybody to see. And, and a lot of times, this is what I've wondered, though. When I look at those and I see um, young ladies, I see young men who should never do that, um, take selfies. And, and they put them online. I wonder many, many times, I wonder if they really see themselves the way they're projecting themselves online. Right? Does that make sense? I wonder, like, behind the makeup. I wonder behind the person that you're with. I wonder um, behind that famous person that maybe you met. Like, is the person that you, you're, you're portraying, is that the real person? Is that the real you? Is that really how you feel about you? Right? When we do those kinds of things, is it an attempt sometimes maybe to hide something? Like, I'm not against selfies. I'm really, I'm not, this is not a bash on selfies. This message is not even about selfies. It's about you. It's about ourselves. It's about how we see ourselves. And so are we portraying, not just in that, but maybe in just our everyday lives, are we portraying um, an image that doesn't really go along with how we see ourselves? An image that doesn't really go along with how we think of ourselves. Because this is the thing that I see. Most people that I come in contact with are so full of insecurities, including myself. We're so full of disdain for ourselves. We're so full of of dislike for ourselves that it's very hard for us many times to portray um, an accurate image to other people. It's very hard for us to sometimes love ourselves. But the Bible tells us um, that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. See, there's this problem that comes in when we can't love ourselves in a healthy way. And, and, and the thing that we need to begin to look at, and this is really where we get to in this text, is that Paul is showing us again who we are. The book of Ephesians is an amazing book. It uses the word in Christ over 20 times. As you read through it, you will see in Christ, in him, um, over and over and over again, because Paul wants us to understand something. He wants us to understand who we are in Christ. If you said yes to Jesus's invitation, you've received him as your Lord and as your savior, then you have a different identity. The Bible is true that you You have become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But for all of us, there's so much around us that gives us different messages, that tells us a different story. Then we begin to believe that we're something other than what Jesus says we are. And this is what I can tell you. When voices constantly are telling you you're something you aren't or something you're not who you should be, and you begin to hear that over and over and over again, pretty soon you will begin to believe it. And as you hear those voices, as you hear people say this, as you hear culture, as events and experiences in your life begin to press on you, you'll begin to take on an identity that may or may not be accurate according to scripture. I will tell you this, the only validation that is valid is the validation of God. The only identity that is true is the identity that God gives us. That for those of us who are in Christ, we once were dead, but now we've been made alive in Jesus. For those of us who were in Christ, we were once dead in our sins and our transgressions. We were disobedient sons and daughters. We were rebels, but now we've been made sons and daughters of the King. And so we need to begin to see this. We need to begin to live this out. And Paul wants us to get this. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, the very first word he uses there is finally. He says, finally. In other words, basically what he's saying is everything we've talked about up until this point that listen, finally we get to this moment finally includes all that God has done um, through uh, the, 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 the book of Ephesians already. And he gets to this point where he says, finally, finally, we're at this place where Paul is going to say, these are my last words to you in this, this matter. If we're going to live this way, this is something that we have to do. 
And listen to what he says. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. He doesn't say, be strong in yourself and the strength of your might. He says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. One of the things we do so many times is we try to walk around in our own strength. I'm guilty of this myself, where I try to do things in my own strength. I'll trust God. I'll get to a point where I can no longer carry things and I'll finally let them go. But you know what? I start feeling a little better and I'll pick them right back up. And I start trying to carry it all again. And God says, don't do that. Paul's teaching us here, be strong in his might, not in your own. And and he uses words all through these, these, these verses, these 10, 11 verses that we're going to look at today. He uses these words like this, be strong. He uses stand. He says, stand over and over again so that you may stand in the day of evil, that you may stand so that when you've done all, you may stand. He's wanting us to stand firm in Christ. He's wanting us to stand firm in who we are in Christ. He says, be alert, be strong, stand, be alert, be strong, stand, be alert. See this, this whole tone that Paul has is one uh, uh, that is not a, a, a sissified Jesus tone, right? This is a manly tone. This is a tone, right? He's saying, be strong in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord, but not in your strength, but in the Lord's strength and in his might. See, in those verses, this is what we see. We see God's enablement, but then we see something else. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so we see, first of all, it's the Lord's strength, it's his might. But then we see this other side that God says, he's going to enable you, you cooperate with him. And so he's teaching us that it's God's strength, it's God's might that we have to walk in, that we live in. But at the end of the day, we cooperate with what God's doing. And he goes on and he begins to tell us in verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to do what? To stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. See, here's one of the problems we have in the church today. We have this attack on identity. We have this attack on church. The church doesn't even really know who it is anymore, that that we've lost our identity in Christ. We've lost this reality of who we are in Jesus, the power of the resurrection that we're going to celebrate next week, but that very few people actually walk in. Um, And we've got this identity crisis. And here's the thing that we don't even realize, and this is something that's damaging us as individuals, but even more important, the church as a whole. It's the fact that we don't even acknowledge anymore that there really is an enemy. But Paul in this, in these last few verses, introduces us to the fact that there is a devil, that there is evil, and that there are demons. And he's telling us this. Now, I don't want you to get this thought in your mind that I'm saying that behind every tree and every rock and every seed is a demon, right? And some people are like that. It's like, well, that's just demonic. No, not everything, right? But it is true that there are forces of darkness. There is evil. It actually does exist. When, when we become Christians and we begin to follow Jesus, it's amazing that we somehow think that our life is going to be perfect, that everything's going to get better. And then six months after you're saved, you're like, why has this gotten so much more difficult? Why am I still fighting battles? Why am I still going through difficult times? And the reality of it is, for me, um, I had to start thinking about it like this. For me to be surprised that the enemy attacks me when I'm doing the work of God, when I'm doing the will of God, would be like a soldier going into war and being surprised that someone shot at him. Right? And so we we shouldn't be surprised by the enemy's attacks. And in fact, I had a guy tell me the other day, he told me, uh, he was like, well, you know, how do you, and we were talking about the church, we were talking about one-on-one stuff, and he goes, how do you stay humble with with all that God's done in the church? And I was like, well, really and truthfully, God keeps me humble. I learned a long time ago that the Bible is true, that pride goes before destruction. Anytime I start thinking that I'm something, God has a way of humbling me. And the other way is that I constantly feel like I'm being attacked by the enemy. And I realized that I can't do this in my own strength. In fact, this time of year is typically the worst time of year for me. We've seen this pattern in the last four years. Um, at church is five years old. For the last four years, this time of year is typically the worst time of year for me. And, and, and it all leads up to Easter. And what I've seen is the last four years, this time of year literally has been hell. Because I know that God is doing something great. He's about to do something great. And anytime God begins to do something great, Satan attacks. So we can't be surprised by the attack of the enemy. I can tell you many times when God's about to do something great in our church because I feel the attack begin to come on myself. So I need your prayers. 
That's why we need to pray for our leaders. I can feel those attacks coming. There really is a devil. There really is evil. It's why some of the toughest days of our Christian walk are typically the first few days after we're saved or the first few months. And that walk and that battle continues. Why? Because we're fighting an enemy. We can't be surprised that there is an enemy. And Paul tells us a few things. I want to give you these things about Satan that you need to understand. There's three characteristics about Satan that I want you to have. The first one is that Satan, the devil, he is powerful. The Bible uses these words like principalities and power to indicate not just a hierarchy, but that there's power. He's powerful. Now, the good news is that he's not more powerful than our God. That that he's been overcome, right? The second thing is that he's wicked. The Bible uses words like darkness and evil. He wants us to understand that Satan, listen, this is the thing that I've learned and I've seen in my life, especially as I've walked through these, these spiritual attacks, these different things that Satan has thrown our way. This is what I've learned in my life. Satan does not wish to harm you. Satan does not wish to harm me. Satan wishes to destroy you. Satan would like nothing more than to remove me from what I'm doing. Because every Sunday that we come in here, it is our goal to punch him in the throat. And he does not like it. And here's the reality of it. He comes against us. He does not wish to harm us. He wishes to destroy us. We are in a battle. The third thing that Paul teaches us right here in these two verses is that he's cunning. He's deceptive. See, most of the time, it's not even for our daily lives. It's not even this huge barrage, this huge attack that Satan brings. So many times, it's just that subtle walking away that he tries to entice us. To follow, right? And then one day we look up and we realize how far we've walked. That's why Paul says, be alert. Other places, the Bible tells us to be vigilant. The Bible tells us that we have to be aware of his schemes. And so he's cunning. The schemes of the devil is how he makes us fall for the same trap over and over again. How many times has Satan made us fall for the lie? Because this is what he does. He always overestimates the benefits of sin. And he always underestimates the consequences of sin, right? And so he's like, well, I do this. It'll be awesome. And then you do it and you're like, okay, now this really is not good, right? And so we have to come to this place of realizing that this is his trap. This is his work. One of the things I've realized also in this is that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, 10 says that he stands before God. He accuses us day and night. And I was thinking about that and I was like, how intimidating is that to know that this powerful, wicked, cunning being is accusing us uh, um, before God. And then I had this realization and the Bible teaches us this, that when Jesus ascended after he was resurrected, um, after he overcame death and sin, the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the father. And I thought about the devil as this accuser who's constantly making these accusations, saying these things about us to God. And, and, And then I thought about this. How awesome is it to know that we have a savior who sits at the right hand of God who intercepts those accusations and speaks a better word over us. Who hears those things like, nah, nah, nah. No, no, no. And see, the reality of it is, guys, that when we come to Christ and we're in Christ, God sees us through Christ. And Satan becomes a toothless lion that has a big bark but no bite. He's like one of those little chihuahuas or something that runs around nipping at your heels. How many of you want to punt one of those dogs when they just nip at your heels? How many of you have ever punted one of those dogs? Probably shouldn't raise your hand for that one because you might get in trouble. But I want you to understand that all that God wishes to build, this whole um, Imagine series that we've talked about, all these relationships and this walk with God and this church that, that, that God is building, all that God wants to build, Satan wants to destroy. Our marriages, our families, our children, our relationships, the church. That's why the, the unity is so important in the church. We have to stand together, almost like people who, who stand back to back as they fight an enemy so that they can stand together and overcome the schemes of the enemy. We have to realize that Satan wishes to destroy all that God wishes to build. All that God wishes to build, he wants to tear it down. Including us. He does not wish to harm us. He wishes to destroy us. And he uses two weapons constantly in this battle. The first one is he uses intimidation. Basically bullying, right? He's intimidation. If you don't do this, you won't be that. Remember what he told Jesus when Jesus was in the desert and he began to tempt him. If you really are the son of God, then you need to do this. He, he begins to bully us, trying to tell us that if we don't do something, we won't be something, right? 
The other one is accusation that our amen is he's the accuser of the brethren. And he begins to accuse us of different things. And, and, and here's the funny thing about it. He will intimidate us to do something that we know is against the heart of God and against God's will. And then he accuses us for having done it. If you don't sleep with this guy, if you don't sleep with this, you'll never find love. You'll never, he's going to leave. He's going to go. If you don't do this, you'll never find love. You'll never be loved. You aren't loved. And then you do it. And then the same people, the same culture, the same world that told you, if you don't do it, you're not going to be loved. Then begins to call you a whore because you began to do it. Right. And so he intimidates us into to, to trespassing into sin, to not following God. And then he begins to accuse us for having done the very thing he led us into. And we need to realize that he uses those very things against us. I began to think about some of the ways and some of the things that I believe come against us as Christians. That we we are in Christ, have a new identity, we have a new life. And yet so many times these things begin to come against us. The very first one I thought about was just insecurity. And for many of us, we are very insecure human beings, but we hide it behind this facade of pride. If you show me a prideful person, I will show you an insecure person. If you show me a prideful person, I will show you someone who very much doubts themselves. That hides behind a shell of pride because they don't want people to see what's really there. There's people in here who struggle right now with unworthiness. That you just don't feel good enough. You feel like your life doesn't matter, that it won't matter. It's never going to really amount to anything. You feel like your life is purposeless. Some people feel purposeless. So that you feel like your life has no meaning. There's nothing behind it. Like you don't even really know why am I here? People in here right now that are afraid. You're not just afraid of illness, but some people are afraid of illnesses. You're afraid, will God really take care of me? Some people in here are afraid of abandonment because you got left at some point in your life and you're fearful about abandonment. You're fearful of getting hurt again. It's hard to trust people again when you've been wounded. Um, we're, 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 we're afraid because of events. Events have shaped our lives and even our own image and understanding of ourselves. For so many people in here, you think that the letter that defines your, your, your existence is a D because you went through a divorce and you think now my identity is divorce. That's who I am. That's who I will always be. For many people in here, um, the event may have been a tragedy. And so we feel we're always going to just be identified by this tragedy. For some of us in here right now, the, the, the thing that we feel identifies us is, is one decision. It might be a decision we've made over and over and over again. But if we were to look at our life, if we were to look at ourselves, what we would see is that we feel we are defined by this one poor decision. Some of us in here would identify ourselves as damaged. As damaged. And for some of us, it would be because of abuse. Because of rape. And we feel that we're always going to just be damaged goods. And we feel that that is who we are. For many people, it's because of promiscuity. It's it's because we've we've slept around. We've done things we're not proud of. And we feel like, well, I'm damaged. And for many of us, we continue to repeat the cycle because we already see ourselves as damaged goods. So why would I change anything at this point? As we just keep going. For many of us, we feel damaged because of addiction. A lot of people in here today are broken. In fact, this morning, I pray, God, heal the broken. And God... I pray that you would break those who need to be broken. We're broken from past hurts, from feelings of failure. We're broken from regret and guilt. Many of us are feeling rejected. Our identity is rejected. Because someone left, because of breakups, because of loneliness. For many of us, we feel hopeless, like we'll never get out of this situation that we're in. We feel like we're in this hole that we could never possibly Overcome For some of us, we feel unforgivable because of something we've done. And many of us even hold unforgiveness against ourselves because of something done to us. A lot of us in here today just feel weak. It may be because you're stressed to the max. It may be because, listen, 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 you're struggling so hard with the temptation. And we just feel weak. And so we begin to label ourselves with this identity. In fact, today I talked about Instagram, I talked about selfies, and today you got a card, two cards actually, when you walked in. And I want you to take that first card 
And as I went through those things, this is what I believe. I believe everybody in here, there's something in your life. There's probably a word. There's probably one of those things that hit you as I was talking through them. And this is what I want you to do. You can write it where nobody else can see it, but I'm asking you to write it on a card. You don't put your name on it. You don't have to do anything like that. But I'm asking you that you would take that card, that first card. And I want you to just write, what is it that that you feel like identifies you? What is it that, that negatively you feel like identifies you? Is it a fear? Is it a breakup? Is it an abandonment? What is it that causes you to look? And listen, this is important. I want you to do it. If you didn't get a card, you don't have a pen, get it in your mind. What is it that Satan uses to constantly trip you up? That one thing that if you could remove from your life, that you think life would be so much better. That one thing that you can be trucking along doing so well, and then all of a sudden it trips you back up and you fall again. That one thing. You can write it. Write it on that card. Write it on that card. Because listen, that is our selfie, right? We can put whatever we want to. On Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, we can paint a picture. But at the end of the day, there's something in us that says, you are not because of this. And it haunts us day after day after day. And Satan uses it for intimidation. He uses it for accusation. And we struggle. But see, here's the good news, guys. And this is where I want us to get to in the next few minutes. The good news is that all of those powers, all of Satan's schemes were defeated at the cross and are now under Christ's feet. And if we're in Christ, they're under ours as well. That we have been given a new identity. And Paul begins to admonish us. He begins to encourage us that we would walk in a new way, in a new identity This is how he tells us to overcome the opposition. This is how he tells us to overcome the opposition. Remember whose you are and remember who you are. Remember whose you are and remember who you are. And so many times these next few verses that we're about to read, I hear as something that we're supposed to do, as something that we're supposed to use. But the reality of it is, guys, the more I walk this out, the more I study this, the more I look at this, I realize that the verses we're about to read are more about who we are and what God has given us. See, we can't do anything in and of ourselves to defeat the enemy. He is more powerful than us. He is more cunning than us. He has been doing this longer than we have. But here's the reality. Our God has already defeated him. And through his enabling, his empowerment, and his identity that he gives us through Christ, we can overcome the enemy. And we can live a different life that God has called us to live. God would not call us to do something that he does not enable us to do. So listen to these verses. I told you that in Ephesians, the word in Christ is used more than 20 times. And I want you to see this in these next verses, 13 through 17, what God has done for us in Christ. Paul tells us, be strong in the Lord. He introduces us to the devil. And then he says, therefore, because of this, because of who he is, take up the whole armor of God, not the whole armor of Brandon, not the whole armor of Sally, not the whole armor of John, not the whole armor of anybody, but God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And see, Paul introduces us to these things. And he says, this is the whole armor of God that you are to put on. And see, right as Paul is writing these, there's a very good chance that he was, we know he was probably at least looking at a Roman soldier. There's a very good possibility that at that moment, he is actually chained to a Roman soldier in a Roman prison. And he is looking at this guy and he's thinking about this armament of this oppressive enemy that has got him chained. But the reality of it is he knew that he was clothed with a greater armament, a greater king had given him his equipment so that he could stand in a Roman prison cell and rejoice in the Lord because God had given him a greater armament. He begins to go through these things and say, this is who we are in Christ. This is what you've been given in him. Now stand firm in these things. And so he goes on and he begins to tell us what Jesus has given us. Begins to talk about this equipment. See, people, here's the thing. This is not like some ceremonial garb that we wear. This is, this is battle equipment. It's like a football helmet for a football player. It's not just there to look pretty, right? And I could always tell in high school when we play football, I could always tell the people who would hit you. 
because they always had their helmet was all scarred up, right? It was all scarred up. In fact, we caught a guy one time in the parking lot with his helmet dragging it on the asphalt because he did not hit people very much. And so he wanted his helmet to look scarred. And so it was, it was signs that, he, that, that you had been in the battle. And as a Christian, if we're, listen, this is what a guy told me the other day. He said, if you're flying over the target, you're going to get shot at. As Christians, our battle armor is, is worn. It's tattered. It's not shiny and pretty. It's dented. And yet God continues to keep it there. He continues to hold us together in it. And Paul tells us this. He tells us, listen, that that the the reality is the greater truth, the big T truth, is that if you're in Christ, that that there's a greater truth that defines you. See, the the, the truth, the the, the belt of truth, um, the belt held up uh, the Roman soldier's um, tunic. like, Like this, almost like a dress type thing, right? I'm glad we don't wear those anymore. And he would hold it up and it would free him to be able to run. It would free him to be able to fight. And what the Bible's telling us, according to John 8, 31 and 32, is this, that when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. But for so many Christians, that's something we know up here, but it's something that hasn't sunk in here because we still believe the lies of the world about who we are. And you cannot live according to who Jesus calls you to be until you believe that you are who Jesus has created you to be. And we've got to get to this place where we understand that there's a greater truth that defines us. That the blood of Jesus speaks a better testimony over our lives than the things we've done, the things that have been done to us, the people we've walked out of our lives, and the things that have gone on. We've got to come to a place where we believe and understand that Jesus' truth speaks a better testimony over our lives. He goes on and talks about the breastplate of righteousness. It would protect the soldier's front and the back. And so here's the thing that we need to understand. Our heart, uh, the very most core part of our body, um, the, the very most core part of our being is protected by the righteousness of Jesus. So here's the thing that I know. If I were to stand up here and have to preach because of my own perfection, if I were to stand up here and have to preach because of my own righteousness, there's no way I could stand up here. I don't preach because I'm perfect. I preach because I know the one who is perfect. I don't preach because I've got it all together. I preach because I know the one who holds it all together. And this is the reality. I'm clothed in his righteousness. Last night we were eating at a restaurant and my three-year-old Reed, I don't know, man, he likes to dance. It kind of scares me. And, and like, he likes to get going, you know, like with his hips and stuff. And I'm like, this is embarrassing. And he jumps out in the middle of this, the aisle of the restaurant. And there was another pastor that I saw sitting over across the way. And I have a lot of respect for this other pastor. And, and, and as my son, my three-year-old son steps out and he starts getting his hips going, I'm ashamed to even do what he was doing. And I had no idea where he learned that from. I've told his mother, you can't do that. You got to stop Susan. And the thing, he starts dancing and I immediately felt like this shame. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, they're going to think that I'm the worst pastor and father in the world and and my son's out there gyrating and I'm like what is he doing where did he even learn this from and and, and then I felt the same and I was like you know what it it really doesn't matter what they think first of all I didn't teach him that I don't know who did right and and so here's the reality of it even if people don't see me as, as this righteous man the reality of it is through faith in Christ I am righteous the thing that I have to do is I have to live open before God and the righteousness of Jesus covers my life There's so much pressure to try to be what we can't be, but we are in Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't live godly. It means that the way we live godly is by living in his grace. He goes on and talks about the shield of faith. Distinguishes all the flaming arrows of the enemy. In other words, all these flaming arrows of intimidation and accusation. Paul says that through our faith in Jesus, Jesus extinguishes all of those. Through that faith, he snuffs them out that they can't harm us, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. He tells us that God is our shield. Proverbs 35 teaches us this, that he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He's our strong tower that we can run to. We're able to go into. It's a shield of faith that protects us and tells us who we really are. He talks about the helmet of salvation. It guards our minds, our our brains, our our minds. Listen, we need to have our minds renewed. We need to have them rewired. Our our brains, because of all of the the experiences, because of all the culture, because of all the people in our life, our brains have gotten all kind of jacked up, right? And those they they, they need to be rewired. How How are they rewired? The Bible tells us that they should be renewed. Not conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but renewed, right? 
We need to renew it through the word of God, the truth. Remember the truth, the belt of truth that secures us, that tells us who we are and what we are and what God's called us to be and how God's called us to live and who he is, that we can see ourselves as who we truly are in Christ and begin to live that out through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the last one he tells us is the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We take it and we live triumphantly. The best illustration of this that I know to give you is out of Luke chapter four, verses one through 12, where Jesus is tempted three times in the desert. He had not eaten for 40 days. Right. And, and Satan's like, listen, if, and this is how he, he, he goes after Jesus. If he goes after Jesus this way, he's coming after you and I this way. He tempts him twice, two of the three times. He begins his temptation by saying this, if you really are the son of God, what's he questioning? His identity. If you really are the son of God, he hadn't eaten for 40 days. How many of y'all know he was hungry? He was hungry, right? And he looks and he says, turn that bread or that stone into bread. He begins to question it. He begins to challenge even who he is. But see, here's the thing for Jesus. This is not coincidence, people. Right before Jesus goes into the desert, what happened? He was baptized. When he came up out of the water, he heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus knew who he was because he heard the father speak a greater truth over him. See, the Bible tells us we many times think that somehow Jesus just walked through life without temptation, without the possibility of a snare. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter four, that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. He's not unable to sympathize. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way as we have. Yet it was without sin. And so Jesus has walked through this. How did he overcome those attacks on who he was, on, on, on his purpose, on his reason for existence? He overcame them. How? By the word of God, the sword of the spirit. He knew a greater truth. If you go and you can read this on your own Luke chapter four, verses one through 12. If you go and you begin to read how Jesus responded to Satan's attacks on his identity, he responded with the sword of the spirit, the word of God. He knew that the word of God spoke a better truth over his life. He knew that he was defined not by um, what Satan might tell him, what other people, what if Jesus gave in to everything that other people told him, he would have never accomplished his purpose. But he knew that there was a greater truth that defined him. He knew that God defined him in a greater way. And you and I have been created and recreated in Christ if we have come to faith in him to to live a different way. But we can't do it until we begin to believe what Jesus says about us. Typically, whenever we trip and we stumble, we begin to run away from God. And God says, listen, why don't you come boldly before my throne so that you can receive grace and you can receive mercy in your time of need instead of running away? Why don't you let me speak a better truth over you? Why don't you humble yourself and quit trying to fix it all by yourself and let me be God the way I'm supposed to be God and let me cover you with a better story. This is what God's calling us to. And see, all of these work together to form the truth of our new identity. We can see ourselves secure in the truth of God. There's a greater truth, a big T truth that speaks a better truth over us. We begin to see ourselves in the righteousness of Jesus. Because he's given it to us. Not because we can earn it. We didn't clean ourselves up so we could earn his righteousness. He gave us his righteousness. We begin to live, get, begin to live out of it. We begin to see that we're protected by the shield of faith. We begin to see that our feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This good news that we can declare. Not because we are righteous, but because he is righteous. Not because we are courageous, but because his spirit makes us courageous. Not because we are bold, but because his spirit makes us bold. This is what God calls us to. See, all of these our true identity in Jesus. We need to begin to see them and begin to live out of them. These, listen, these verses are an equipping and they're a commissioning. God has equipped us. The king, listen, the king would equip his soldiers. God has equipped us with all that we need to be able to fight, to be able to stand, to be able to walk according to how he's called us to walk. But it is an equipping and a commissioning for us to go. See, the reality of it is that many of us who are in this place and feeling insecure need to remember this, that we, 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 we looked at this earlier in this, these series, in this, this book of Ephesians, that we in Ephesians 2.10 are God's handiwork, literally his work of art. And that we're okay in him We're this work of art that he's still painting. So when somebody comes down on you and, and it's like, rah, 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 right? You ever hear people that just say, they just starts talking. And that's all you hear. It's like, rah, 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 rah. sometimes you hear like, blah, blah, blah. I'm an idiot. Right. You know what I mean? That's all you hear. And we need to remember that God's not done with us. 
But in Christ, we're a work of art that he's still painting. We, we, we already have the perfection of Jesus, but God's working it out in us. We need to remember that when we have that feeling of unworthiness, that we're not good enough, that we're good enough in Christ. It's not my, my worth. It's the worth of Jesus. And I know I have great worth because God paid a great price. We can be feeling purposeless. And in our life, can feel like it has no meaning. And yet God, we know, according to Scripture, wants to use us. We can be afraid of abandonment, hurt, whatever it may be. But we know that God is with us, that he's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We can be struggling because of events in our lives. But the reality of it is that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, 38 and 39 is so clear on this, that nothing can separate us from the love and the reality of who Jesus is. We can feel damaged because of abuse. We can feel damaged because of poor decisions. But the reality is still true, that we are a new creation that God has made us new in his son and through the power of his Holy Spirit and that when he makes us new, we are truly a new creation. We can feel broken, but we know we're complete in Christ. We can feel rejected, but we know we're chosen by God. We can feel hopeless, but we know we have hope that God has a plan for us and if we will diligently seek him with all our heart, we will find him and we will find hope and we will find purpose. We may feel unforgivable and yet God is faithful to forgive us. There's no sin. Jesus did not die for socially acceptable sins. Jesus died for every sin. No one in this place today is beyond the reach of Jesus. We can feel weak as we struggle with temptation, as we struggle even with levels of energy. And yet the reality is that we are strong in Christ. And that when we are weak, he is strong, that his grace will be sufficient for us. No, about you, but that keeps me going many days. When I reflect on the scripture many times, especially during this season of, of the year, I, I, many times I have to go back to Philippians 1 and remember that he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And I want to encourage you with that today. I want you to understand that this is who we are. In verse 18, we'll finish with this. Paul says, praying at all times. So he tells us to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul finishes this up with prayer and and prayer is definitely one of the weapon that we have as Christians. But I want you to understand that prayer is also an application of the armor that God has given us. It's as much uh, an application as it is the armament and God gives us the ability to pray. And and I, I would even encourage you that it is this many times prayer is not us just making a list of requests to God, to God. Many times prayer is us coming and allowing God to remind us of who we are. It's remembering who he is and remembering who we are in him. Not through our own ability, not through our own strength, but we remember who we are in him. And many times a day we need to stop and we need to be praying without ceasing. We need to be thinking about God and remembering who we are in Christ. When we face situations, when listen, when that sore spot comes back up to us and that thing begins to try to trip us up, whatever it is, whatever popped in your head, whatever it is you wrote on your card, when that thing begins to come back, it begins to try to trip you up. The thing that we have to do is stop. We have to go back to God and we have to say, Lord, tell me that one more time. My kids ask me the same question over and over again. Sometimes I'm like, how many times do we have to talk about this? But you know, the reality of it is I never get tired of talking to them. And God is the same way with us. He does not remind, does not mind telling us over and over again. He does not mind reminding us of the equipment he's given us over and over again. And Paul tells us, pray at all times in the spirit, pray. Let God remind you of who you are. Pray for other people that they can walk in who God's called them to be. Pray that the words may be given to me, Paul. I would ask for your prayers. I can walk in what God has called me to walk in. That you can walk in what God has called you to walk in. That we can do this mission that God's called us to do. That he's called us to be. See, prayer is that constant remembrance of who God is and who we are in him and our purpose for existence. And this is what I want to ask you to do right now. We get ready to finish. I want you to take that other card. You got two cards. And there's a truth that God's spoken over your life in here today. 
I don't know what word popped into your head, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to think about something that I've said. I want you to think about something from God's word. And I want you to write it on that second card. And I want you to see that that is a greater truth that Jesus has spoken over your life. And even if you're in a place that you do not feel that God or that you're able to overcome it, God is. And God has. And that all of the intimidation and all of the accusation that Satan has brought against you, if you are in Christ, has been put under the feet of Christ. And the truth has the power to set you free. Guys, this is something I've lived in my own life. It's not something I'm just telling you that's some theory. It is something that I've lived, I've seen, I know. And my, 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 my encouragement to you is take the time to do this. And walk out of here. We're not going to do what we talk about. Why are we even here? Why not have a pen? You might not have a card. But whatever that first word is, there's something that I've spoken to you today that overcomes that, that trumps that. It's the big T. And this is what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to take that first card. I want you to take the second card home with you, and I want you to put it somewhere. I want you to put it on your mirror at home so that when you're getting dressed to take your selfie... see it and you're reminded of it that's your new instagram card right it tells you who you are in christ and listen some of us need to go home and we need to think of some others and we need to write them down and we need to put them on our dash we need to put them on our mirror we need to stick them in our bible whatever we're going to see regularly we need to we need to put it there to remind us who we are in christ so that we can walk in the ways of jesus his grace is so amazing His mercies are new every day. You know why the Bible says his mercies are new every day? Because we need them every day. It is a reminder that they are there every single day. And my prayer is that you would take that and you would remind yourself of who God is, how he's overcome the enemy, and who you are. So I'm going to pray. I want you to take that second card home with you. I'm going to ask you today. God's speaking to your heart. Listen, I'm going to ask you today. When I pray... I'm going to tell you to bring that first card down here and leave it at the altar. And you can spend time praying. If you don't have that written down on a card, you come down here and leave it, whatever it is. But if those of you who wrote it down, and, and, and listen, there's a greater truth that's being spoken over you. I want you to come and I want you to leave it. It is symbolic of me saying, I'm not walking and carrying this anymore. There's a greater truth that has been spoken over my life. You can spend time praying here. You can do whatever you need to do. Come and leave it. And let's walk away from it. And use that other card to remember that this has been defeated, that it was overcome. Listen, we're turning this into an altar. And the sacrifice of Jesus has made a way for us to be able to be set free in the truth. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you for you to begin to move and you begin to come. And let's walk out of here free in Christ, free and, and truly able to say that the truth has set us free. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity. Lord, we thank you that, God, we can come boldly before your throne of grace, not because we are righteous, but because you've made us righteous, not because we've got it all together, God, but because you hold it all together, that we can come boldly before your throne of grace to receive mercy, to receive grace, God, in our time of need. And I pray for those people, God, here today who, We just need your touch. God, I need your touch. I need your healing power. Lord, we come and we bring these things and we put them at your feet. We ask that you would just meet us again and again. Remind us again and again of who we are. Let your truth speak a better word over us, God. Let your truth speak a better word over our lives. Lord, we love you and praise your name. In Christ's name, amen.